0: Spinning in circles and talking to myself Spinning in circles and talking to myself
1: Welcome spin. to a new spin on autism Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents, and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism.
0: Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today is a rainy day. I know I usually say that today is a beautiful day, but today is a rainy day, and that makes it a beautiful day. Because in California, we've been having a drought. I'm in California. All this rain is supposedly awesome for the ground, but what it's awesome for to me is that feeling of cozy. I feel all hunkered down in my house and like nobody would bother to come to the door, and the little piece of me that's slightly still antisocial goes, yes! All right, so I'm loving the rain, my son is loving the rain, and we're going to talk to someone who is diagnosed with Asperger's, who knows, maybe he's loving the rain, that's how we'll come off the top of the show and find out, but before I tell you who it is, I want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show, where we will have stories And as I've been doing as of late, instead of having two guests, I am my own, okay, 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 it's a great guest giveaway because I have so many darn products, I might as well give some away. That's what I think about that. And besides, you can't always be asking people to pay for stuff. Some people don't have money. So if you don't have any money and you want my product, make sure that you email me when I give you a chance at the end of the show, okay? All right. So... As we've done before, and in fact, just did in the last episode, we're going to be having some fun. We're going to talk to someone funny and fun and light and and, and wonderful. Um, and how I came to know about this gentleman, by the way, is because I'm doing the show Fix It in 5. Huh, I mentioned it. I might as well... Giveaway Fix It in Five again at the end of the show. Hang in there. All right. So um, I have a cameraman who helps me, and he's also my editor, and he's pretty much my right arm when it comes to Fix It in Five. And uh, you know the show where I travel around the world and the cameras come. Well, he's always one of the cameras, and he's often making the cut in the show itself because the kids like him so much they end up doing really neat stuff with him while he's trying to take their picture and ends up in the show. So uh, he's really important to me, and he was talking to me about this gentleman. He said he had worked with um, Jake, and that's who we're going to talk to. He said he had worked with Jake, or rather had been videotaping Jake, and he thought I might be interested in having him on the show. It's taken me months to get him, so that's how cool he is that you can't just get him yeah. on the show. <laughs> and uh, and I'm real excited that we're finally doing it. So this is Jake Rush. He was diagnosed with Asperger's. He's 22 years old, and he's a senior at USC. He's majoring in acting in the School of Dramatic Arts and pursuing a comedy minor from the School of Cinematic Arts. His dad wrote this, so that's why it sounds so important, but he probably is important. Let's find out. There are several ways to break into the entertainment business, and Jake, wanting to push himself, chose to go the road of stand-up comedy, which I have done as well, so we are going to have some fun with this. And He has performed at several Comedy clubs throughout Southern California. So, Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lynette. My pleasure.
0: Oh, and I've, I've watched some of your stuff. That, I mean, I did take my cameraman's word for it, but I also went and checked out your stuff. So, of all, before we even get into backstory and all that stuff, your favorite gig. What's your favorite gig you ever did?
1: My favorite show, uh, probably the main room of the comedy store.
0: Oh, oh, I love know. the comedy stars. So do you have yeah. a special experience from there, or you just liked being there?
1: Uh, I, well, I've done a couple shows there, and I just think that that's the, the most energized crowd I've ever performed uh, for. So I would just have to say some of my best shows uh, that I've ever done have been at, in that room because of how great the crowd is.
0: Okay, people, did you hear what he just said? Because this is the part that the audience often doesn't know. The audience often thinks they're supposed to sit there with their arms crossed and say, make me laugh. But really, you will laugh more if you laugh. So, when you're energized, we're better. Right, Jake?
1: Yes, exactly. When they start laughing, I get excited and I start performing better and with more energy and then they start laughing more. So, it's a cycle that way.
0: Exactly. Okay, so let's back up a little. Yeah. You been diagnosed with Asperger's. How old were you?
1: I was 11 years old when I was diagnosed.
0: All right. So you've been struggling for a while, or nobody would have been looking for a diagnosis. But what kind yeah. of stuff? What, what was showing up for you?
1: Just uh, I had a lot of rigid rules, in, like in elementary school. And I'd throw a fit if they, if they didn't get followed. Like I, I didn't want to eat meat just for taste reasons. I, I didn't want to. Um, I, I, I had to get home. At 3:30 p.m. every day, that was like a, a rule for me. I I had to. When I was a really little kid. I had to sleep with a with a blue blanket every night. And in addition to that, I uh, just social stuff. I didn't have a lot of friends in elementary school. Um, I was really uncoordinated. I've been told uncoordinated like isn't that true that uh, a lack of coordination is sometimes tied with uh, Asperger's?
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a stiffness almost. There, it's yeah. not a, I, I don't even know if the, word la, you know, the phrase lack of coordination is correct so much as the timing is off. So when you're trying to dance, you've moved your hip to the right a beat or two later, and so you end up stiff because you're trying so hard, if that makes sense.
1: Okay, yeah, that would definitely describe what i but what i lack in in the in tempo with with dancing I make up for an effort <laughs> I go, I go very hard on the dance floor I'm always the the sweatiest one on the dance floor um, well, but other things that um let me see my mom would definitely be be the 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 expert on this sometimes it it was hard for me to even be aware of what I was doing but
0: let's talk about your subjective experience though like you mentioned that um you had to get home at a certain time. Do you remember yeah. how
1: that felt? Yeah. I just remember just thinking that if I didn't get home at 3.30 o'clock every, time, every day after school that I would just, that my whole day was gone, that, that my whole day was ruined. And then for some reason that would just get me in this down, downward spiral of frustration that I just couldn't get out of. And it would ruin my whole night thinking that my whole night had been ruined. It was just a really meaningless rigid rule that I had created in my head.
0: Do you have any memory of when it started?
1: When it started, no. It just the the, the last couple of years of elementary school was when I was really, uh, really was when that was really important to me.
0: You know, I asked you that, Jake, is okay, so I had a what? son that. Well, I yeah. mean, he's still my son, but yeah. he got very afraid, terrified of public toilets. And everybody was talking about it like it was, you know, just a part of his autism and he was just being irrational with his fear. And I was like, why didn't anybody ask me? That's not irrational. I, and I remembered when it started and I, what I love about this memory, Jake, is that it made me realize that what we think was irrational probably started somewhere with a purpose. Like, so for example, in his case, I was holding him on my hip, and I leaned over to flush a toilet in a public restroom. And you know how those toilets are so huge and they make such a huge noise? Yes. Yeah, well, practically in his visual experience, he probably felt like I was about to duck his head in and flush him. Like it was a big moment. Right. So maybe something happened that made 3.30 o'clock matter.
1: Yeah, maybe it did. I just and I just don't remember. But um, I'm sure at maybe sometime I, I got home late and then I had a bad night and I just uh, correlated the two right. and, and thought that, that was the cause.
0: So what about, you know, okay, so that was grade school, and then you it, were 11 and they were seeking a diagnosis. Do you remember getting you, that diagnosis? Do you remember that process?
1: Well, I actually ended up getting that diagnosis like a year later. Like My family knew, but I didn't. Um and then I remember uh like during we were we were at this family therapy session and they broke it to me that uh I had Asperger's and it was and I knew what that was and I just didn't know that I had it. So I just um I I it was pretty I remember at the time it was a pretty devastating um experience finding that out. It was a pretty crushing blow. Um I remember thinking that like oh I I must not I was afraid that I was not aware of how socially uh inept I was and I thought that it was worse than it really was. So I thought that that, that other people that oh I thought oh oh all my friends must view me as this handicapped person yeah. and they're all just pretending to be my friends. Like I thought that everything I knew was a lie. I just I, I overreacted to it dramatically. I thought um that well, I must be unaware. Which to a certain extent is true. I was unaware of a lot of things, but it wasn't as bad as I was afraid that as I was afraid it was, and I was afraid that I was totally. I was afraid I was handicapped. To put it you uh, know, bluntly.
0: You know what? That's kind of a good thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but when we discover something like that and then completely fall apart into the well, if I didn't know that, maybe I don't know anything kind of mode, um, that is the place where we'll gather the real information. It's the willingness to say, oh, maybe I don't know, and maybe I'm completely inept, that gives us, after the panic, (laughs) for however long that lasts, a chance to put ourselves back together. So I'm curious, did it play out like that for you, or how did it go?
1: In the long run, it definitely did. I I ended up, uh, like, working really, really, really hard uh, at um, learning social cues and memorizing them because they didn't come naturally to me. So I would just memorize uh, the right way to act in certain situations. And then over time, like I remember especially in eighth grade was when I was really like focused on, there was a specific friend group that I wanted to get into that friend group because I I had one friend in that group and I wanted to sit with them at lunch and, and have them you know, be my friends. And then those ended up, and it, and it worked in the long run. I ended up, you know, being best friends with those guys through, throughout the rest of high school. Um, but I remember just setting goals for myself socially in terms of making friends and just pursuing that. And I remember it being a lot of hard work, especially uh, my my mom and my older brother, I would say, helped me the most, uh, mainly through through tough love. They would I guess, criticized me every time I did something that would be considered socially inappropriate. And at the time, it always frustrated me and hurt my feelings. But I I know that they were doing it out of love.
0: And and you got the information, right? Better that you got the information. Yeah, and I got
1: most of the information of things that I was doing wrong, I got from those two. Um, So
0: have you ever watched The Big Bang Theory?
1: uh, Yes, I have watched a couple episodes.
0: Have you seen the episode where Sheldon is trying to make friends and so he creates a flowchart?
1: I haven't seen that one, though. No.
0: Okay, it's hilarious to fun. me because I did the exact same thing for my kids and for myself and for my stand-up comedy. So we're going to end up Good. in stand-up. So let let me just tell you this. So Sheldon is there and he's decided he's going to make friends with one of the other characters, Crypt is his name, and, and he wants to do that because he wants this guy to share something with him that he won't otherwise share. So he, he's just terrible, it, much like the struggle you're talking about. He has the intention. He comes up with the ideas. He smiles at the wrong times. He says the wrong things. And so finally he makes a flow chart for himself, okay, and he makes the phone call. And he goes, okay, when the guy says no, you go over here and ask this. And when the guy says yes, right. And I was laughing so hard. My son and I were watching it because that's exactly what I did for my kids. We created a flow chart. They would phone their Potential girlfriend or friends, and I'd be standing there and they'd look at me and shake their head no, so I'd follow the flow chart to the no spot. <laughs> and essentially, that's what we have to do, right?
1: Yeah, yeah that's the way it started as a very uh, right brain thing. But that's the right brain, that's a critical part of the brain, isn't it?
0: Well, the right brain is your conceptual brain, and the left brain is more your detail oriented. So when you, the way you're describing it, was very left brain, very Uh, this detail, then this detail, then this detail.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was very left brain at first in the sense that I was just, yeah, just memorizing um, until it sort of became natural in the long run.
0: Right, right. That's very cool. Okay, so we're going to talk about stand up in a minute, but before we get off of your childhood, what what great lesson in there?
1: I for me, honestly, it was tough love and work ethic was the was the um was what I got. I mean, I was I was really um I really benefited a lot from the way my mom and my brother took that situation. They never they never really said, "Okay, he's doing he's doing okay for a kid with Asperger's." And I never said that I never I never wanted to be a success story of, of, of Asperger's. I didn't I, I wanted to distance myself as far away from that as possible. I wanted to just be a kid that had a lot of friends. Uh, right. I can, so and they and they held me to a high standard. Every time I did something that would be considered socially inappropriate for anyone to do, they came down on me hard and they never really let me get away with anything. And I think that um and they never really gave up, even when I fought back at them and I think that if it hadn't been for that intervention from them, um, I don't know where I'd be now.
0: I really love that you're sharing that because so often people want to give it up to the schools, but the truth is it's our family that is there day in and day out in the natural environment, and it's our family that needs to help us correct the trajectory over and over and over again and you and Temple Grandin are in agreement that a little tough love is not a bad thing give them a little push um, yeah. okay so that's a beautiful saying. now let's talk about actually let me tell everybody you are listening to a new spin on autism answers I'm Lynette Louise your story teacher host otherwise known as the brain broad and today is a nice rainy cozy day Ooh! I promised I was going to ask her asperger's friend how he feels about the rain so we'll do that in a second we're talking to speaking of whom jake rush and he's a comedian he's a comedian and a student and an asperger's fellow that but we don't want to identify him that way we're just putting him on the show for that (laughs) and um and also remember to stay to the very end of the show where i'll do stories from the road and i'm gonna okay 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 a great guest giveaway fix it in five opportunities so hang in there Okay, we are back with Jake, and let's ask about the weather. How do you feel about the rain?
1: Uh, I like the rain. I agree with you about the cozying up in the rain. only thing I don't like is driving in the rain. That's kind of...
0: Right. It's like it's great as long as you're going to be at home.
1: Yeah, exactly. I passed like three car accidents while I was driving today. I was like, wow. Do you have that social piece?
0: (laughs) But do you have that social piece, Jake, where you go... Oh yay! Nobody will come over, or are you completely past all of that exhaustion of dealing with kind of friends and and people?
1: To be honest, even though I I do I would describe myself as an introvert, I'm I'm an introvert with a lot of extroverted tendencies. Uh, I, I I enjoy my um my time alone, but no, that's not what I thought about when I saw the rain. The like oh like to me, I would still love to. Hang out with friends tonight if they wanted to come over in the rain. That's I don't uh, I don't fear social interaction anymore. Sometimes here's one thing that I fear. The only thing that, this is the only social situation that still causes me anxiety when I am an extended one-on-one um, interaction with someone that I don't know very well. So if I know, like, so the concept of a blind date.
0: That's- <laughs> we all get exhausted from that
1: yeah like that is, that is something where I would still like all the social anxiety of me being a little kid would all come back I, I, I don't like when I'm, when I'm trapped if, if, I, if I just have to have make small talk with someone at a party for a little bit and it's a person I don't know very well that's fine but if I'm in some kind of a situation where I'm trapped and I know it's just going to be me and this one other person for a long time and I don't know them that well, that's when I'm like, oh, crap, Like, what do we talk about? What? How long is this going to go for? That's when I get anxious. But other than that, I don't really have a lot of social anxiety anymore.
0: Very cool. Maybe that's because you pushed against your disorder or your diagnosis or whatever yeah. we're calling it these days that's PC and decided not to be known as the person with Asperger's who's sort of successful for an Asperger's person.
1: Exactly. I just wanted to be... a successful social person compared to a normal person and so I always actively it never came naturally to me so and it still doesn't necessarily if I I just got to push myself I always had the urge to want to connect to people that was always um, an intrinsic desire that I had I was never content with being lonely
0: thank you for Um, saying that because I've never met anyone on the autism spectrum that is content with being lonely and unconnected. They're sometimes exhausted by it. They're sometimes confused by it. All kinds of adjectives fit, but the desire to not connect isn't part of the spectrum, even though it's often said that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do two more random questions, then let's just talk about your comedy. So, um, All right. The, the one random one is, how did you feel when they took Asperger's out of the diagnostic category for the DSM-5?
1: I, I didn't know. What, is, what does that mean? What is that?
0: <laughs> I love that you didn't know. Okay, so you know how they are, there's a book that says what we all have, and you look it up, and you go, okay, I'm this, 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 therefore I am. Well, that's what the yeah. psychologists and psychiatrists use when they categorize us, and there's mm-hmm. no such thing as Asperger's anymore. So what I figure is that means we're all healed. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Wait, so you didn't that know mean? that? Yeah. No, they took it out. Now you're, you don't, you no longer have Asperger's, by the way. You have high functioning autism. How do you feel about that?
1: Oh, that's worse. <laughs> See? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe I could, maybe uh, high function. Uh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I, I,
0: uh, it's it in, you know I... Comedy
1: act a little bit.
0: Yeah. You should put it in there because, I mean, let's think about that. It's like. So now you have a different diagnosis, and it wasn't because you changed. (laughs) You didn't regress or get more, right? You didn't come. You just sat there in one spot, and they changed the diagnostic criteria, and now you're different. It's funny. Yeah,
1: it's all made up anyway. The labels didn't mean anything.
0: (laughs) Nothing. It means nothing. What really meant something is when you felt anxious, and then you got help. When yeah, you felt awkward, yeah. and then your parents gave you the information you needed—that's the stuff that matters. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Was it hard for you to learn how to drive? Did you have problems coordinating? That. Oh uh, yeah. P- <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I
1: failed. I failed my first two driving tests. So that was a bummer. But now I'm a very, very cautious driver. While I may not be the most coordinated person, I'm, I make up for it with caution.
0: Good. Good. I actually, some of the best drivers I know had to get over all of that, their depth perception issues and um, mm-hmm. their coordinated thinking and multitasking, and they end up, And a couple of them that I know are professional drivers. Um, one of them will be listening to this show because she listens to all my shows, so congratulations Ooh. to you, Rachel.
1: Congratulations, Rachel.
0: Thank you. Thank you for saying that. She'll yeah. love it. It'll make her smile. Okay, so here's the thing, David. It's time to talk comedy. Can you make us laugh?
1: <laughs> um, uh, you want me to do some of my jokes?
0: Yeah, in a minute. But first, tell me why comedy? Why stand-up comedy?
1: Just because I've always been passionate about. Uh, that's always been my my social in to to, to getting into to groups, to making friends I was always being the funny guy for, since elementary school. Elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. I've always been. Uh, it's always been the easiest way for me to get people to like me being funny so I've I've always been uh, attracted to being on the stage like I did a lot of musical theater in high school that was my my main involvement in high school and I was really passionate about it and so I decided to major in theater in college and then I thought stand-up comedy is a great way to sort of build a name for yourself as an actor so why don't I try you know try my hand at stand-up comedy so I, I started doing it and um here I am
0: do you, what do you like better about stand up comedy than musical theater or vice versa, whichever?
1: Um, see, see, I don't really do musical theater anymore because I figured I didn't have a good enough voice to make it on Broadway, so it didn't really, there was no point in continuing musical theater. But in terms of what I like stand, about stand up more, mm-hmm. uh, you get to express more of uh, your voice in stand up comedy. It's more, it's more you, I guess. People get to know you. Right. stand-up comedy you're not doing some character you're and, and you you can do it one thing I really love about stand-up is that, that you don't have to wait to get cast
0: to do right. it I mean, you
1: have to wait to right. get booked on shows but, but once you start doing it you, you do get booked on shows and worst case scenario you can do open mics Right. which I which I think every comedian should do open mics for a, a big part of their career I'm still doing them all the time and um, musical theater it's a, it's a big old production that involves so many people and right Hard to
0: do. Right. I love talking, that you can that you can share your voice, but also that you can hear your own voice. When I started doing stand-up, one of the things I liked was hearing myself back and seeing my thoughts and watching myself grow, go from body function humor to more sophisticated jokes, and it was really <laughs> quite lovely.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I, I try to record all my shows, and I've uh, done a lot of... It actually backfired in a sense, but I used to try to... Uh, memorize the, the vocal inflections of my jokes mm-hmm. when when I when they went really well. So if like there's one particular night where my joke hit the hardest, I would try to memorize my vocal inflections and I have done that and it it's had some some positive effects and sometimes it makes me go a little stale. So I try not to do that anymore, but I still do listen to what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong and try to correct it and improve. So I'm always right. doing
0: better. it's like it's like a very very intense version of the way you were trying to memorize and teach yourself before your social skills. Now you get to Absolutely. do it from the stand-up stage, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, it is very similar.
0: Yeah, yeah. Want to tell us a joke or two? Uh,
1: sure. So uh, so I have uh, a social disorder called Asperger's syndrome. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, when you have Asperger's, you can't read social cues. So I'll be on a date with a girl, and she'll be like, I'm sorry, I don't want to bore you with my problems. And I'll be like, thank you so much.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm so glad we're on the same page. And uh, when you can't read social cues, people are always correcting you all the time. When you have Asperger's, you feel like society is constantly correcting you. Like, Jake, don't whisper. Stop yelling, Jake. Jake, look me in the eyes. Less creepy eye contact, Jake. Jake, you're being too quiet. Jake, you're talking too much. Quit being so gullible, Jake. Jake, trust me. <laughs> um, and, uh,
0: okay, I love that. <laughs> one more. Give us that. one more. Having Asperger's
1: is like being an alien visiting Earth for the first time. Like, oh, no, don't stare at the breasts. Oh, no, <laughs> don't go to the beach and sit facing away from the ocean. <laughs>
0: Okay, that was my favorite, and I saw that one on YouTube. And what I like so much about that is I even have, like, a Tips with Tricks series that I do, and I talk about how my son, he'd sit and watch us watch TV. So we'd all sit down to watch TV, but he'd put his back to the TV to watch us watch it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I, when I was a little kid, I would... I didn't understand why everyone that goes to the beach is all facing the same way. <laughs> where, where do we all universally agree on this? That like, <laughs> like there was some meeting that I missed out on.
0: <laughs> well, maybe you did miss out on that meeting, but it was probably just one of those meetings that makes society walk around like sheep and not actually accomplish anything. So it was a meeting worth missing. Um, exactly. All right, so... Yes, exactly. So what are your future plans, and how is it going at college?
1: Um, it's going great. Uh, college is going really well for me. Uh, I've had a girlfriend now for two and a half years. I'm involved in a – very much involved in my fraternity at college, um, the theater school. I'm involved there. done a couple plays. I actually produced in my, and, and starred in my own play, uh, an independent okay. student production at USC – and co-directed it as well. Um, I've been cast in a couple uh, School of Dramatic Arts productions. As far as as the future is concerned, I'm just hoping to continue stand-up comedy and acting, but right after college, what I'm going to be dedicating most of my time to is stand-up comedy, because I think uh, acting involves way too much waiting for the phone to ring for my liking. Uh, I'd rather go out and work at stand-up comedy and, and hopefully make a name for myself that way and then use that to start uh, making the phone ring for acting.
0: Sounds good to me. That sounds like a really good plan, actually. I did something similar when I was in Canada. I had the same struggles as you. Anyways, I ended up doing stand-up comedy and I thought, I want to learn from the best. This is silly. I'm learning from the other open micers. So I ran my own room and I hired all the big guys and I got to know all of the you know the main players and I've been on stage with Howie Mandel and, and uh, you know, I just really wow. was a smart move. So I pass that tip to you that as you leave, you know, university, you might want to say, hmm, I'll run my own room and hire the bigwigs because they're always wanting work, too. You may not get the, the A players, but you can get the B players and you can learn from really good people that way. And they'll give you a leg up. I ended up with a TV show. I just happened to leave my country and have to start at the bottom again.
1: (laughs) Where are you performing at now?
0: um, I have a one woman show that I usually take around. And occasionally I do do stand up here at the different clubs around. So I've actually done the comedy store as well. And um, there's, you know, those, you probably are a part of like SoCal stand up and all of that where you get on the chain of possible places to play and then they send you out what's available yeah that stuff so whenever i happen to be local and it fits into my schedule i go ahead and try but um you know i do a million things at this point uh and we're not going to get into that because most of the people listening aren't going to want to follow up and figure out how to get on socal stand up um (laughs) okay so That's your goal. I love your goal. Uh, has school academically been easier than socially, socially easier than academically, or on par?
1: Really, uh, by the time I got to college, I wasn't, socially, I I had my stuff pretty figured out by the time I got to college. High school was really tough for me socially. That was when I did all my learning. And then by the time I got to college and met a brand new batch of people, you know, I, I was the life of the party a lot of the time in my fraternity and, uh, Made you know I was pretty. My friends were 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 very shocked when they found out that I had Asperger's because I was I was a pretty out. I mean they, everyone always thought I was a little bit odd. Like that that still is there. I'm still kind of an oddball. I'm still different, but I was always very outgoing. Um, academically, you know, it hasn't been that difficult because there's not a whole lot of academic rigor involved. Uh, in the in acting, I guess That there is a different kind of rigor, and more of an artistic rigor, which is very different than academics. It's still, I could go on and on about the about the concept of teaching arts in an academic institution. I think it, it presents certain challenges, but um, I, uh, I it hasn't been super challenging for me. The, the real challenge has been stand up comedy. Not not that it's been going poorly, but that it just, of course, takes a lot of uh, work, and that it's really hard. I mean, that's rigor.
0: Yeah, and when you're good at stand up, you're good at everything.
1: Honestly, yeah, that's that's the goal. Because it, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, basic stand up comedy. It's just you on a stage entertaining people. It's it's the cornerstone of all entertainment. If you can do, yeah, exactly. If you can do stand up, you can do anything. I don't know about dancing. I don't know if I can dance. <laughs> you but, can be a uh, funny
0: dancer. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But I could I could act or do improv. I do a lot of improv too at the
0: groundlings. Yeah, improv's really great, especially for Asperger's because of the rigidity. Nothing will help you quicker than a little improv. So, all right, we're at the end of the show. You have an opportunity right now to share what you think. Now, I want to give you a – let's set the stage here a little bit. Most of my listenership is parents of children who are still really in the throes of their struggle, and some educators looking for advice on how to help those parents or help those children. So, with that in mind, thinking of your audience, Jake, what do you want to share that you think would help them?
1: Honestly, um, they are uh, they are capable of so much. The uh, the kids who are in the middle of their struggle, and it probably seems right now for them like it did for me, that they're not listening to what you say, that they're not making improvements, maybe it doesn't look like they're improving. But if you keep on them and show them tough love and hold them to a high standard at all times, it's gonna be a lot of work for you. But in the end, that's how they're gonna learn. Because they're not they're not deficient. They're not disabled. They're not they're not handicapped at all. They're they're just stubborn in a lot a lot of, like like I was. I was stubborn. I didn't want to change. And I didn't understand the the, the reason, a lot of the, the things about the world didn't make sense to me, about the way human society worked didn't make sense. And I thought my way was better. And my way, I mean, it's good that I have a unique perspective, but at the end of the day, you need to be able to function in society with other people. So before I get off on too much of a tangent, I guess uh, what I would say is don't baby them.
0: Raise That's the my bar. advice. Ask for more, raise the bar, give them the information they need. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. That.
0: Okay, that sounds awesome. And how do people check out your stuff and see you if they want to watch you do comedy? Do you have a place where they can go to find your schedule?
1: So look up uh, Jake Rush Comedian on Facebook and and go ahead. And if you like my page, then uh, there are constant updates on that page about when my next shows are and it's got uh, that page has all the clicks okay. of uh, if you want to watch my standup, it's all on that page. So that's really the way to follow me is Jake Rush comedian on Facebook.
0: Okay. And if someone wants to book you, will they be able to do it through that page as well?
1: They will. Yes. There's an email listed on that page that they could uh, send uh, that they can, that they can email me through that uh, email listed on the page and, and request uh, or offer
0: to book me. Okay, awesome. And I will also, in my write-up, put a link here that I've got to your uh, to your webpage. So we will be... You've been Haha Ha Ha Club and Flappers Comedy Club, and there's some good clips here. So, um, people, you have to check him out. It's Jake Rush. He's a funny dude. And besides, he shared his heart with you. You owe him one. So make sure you watch <laughs> his stuff, and if you like it, book him. Jake, thank you so much for being willing to share your, your story with us. I really appreciate it.
1: It's been my pleasure. It's great what you're doing.
0: All right. Thanks, Jake. Okay, that was Jake Rush, comedian and 22-year-old, used to be Asperger's. I know he <laughs> – we can't say he's Asperger's because there's no such thing anymore. So he used to be Asperger's. Look at that. just graduated. And, in fact, it sounds to me like he has. He's a – Great guy. Uh, lots of good material here for you to watch online. And also, you got to admire how hard it is for people to figure out this social stuff. And then take another minute. Don't just admire. Don't stop there. Don't just go, wow, that's admirable. They had to work so hard to learn how to have a conversation and make a friend. Go the next step and realize that anybody that can learn, sort of using an academic brain and a learn how all of that works and then apply it and make it natural, anybody that can do that is going to be very smart in many, many ways. They're going to be able to take big problems and create spider webs of solutions and then make that natural. That's why so many of your scientists and engineers and researchers were on the spectrum because it takes a special kind of training to become socially acceptable if you have this disorder. And in that training are some great gifts. And it sounds like Jake Rush got a few of those gifts. Okay, okay, okay. It's time for the Great Guest Giveaway. And the Great Guest Giveaway has to be watching Fix It in 5. So I have one. Leftover from the Christmas sale, so I have one more giveaway code. If you send me an email and you're the first person to do it, you send it to mom m o m and the number four, evermore e v e r m o r e. So it reads mom forevermore at Juno not G- not Gmail Juno j u n o dot com and in the subject line put. I want fix it in 5. First person to send me that. will get the code and then they can watch it and it's worth 100 bucks. So, you know, you should you should grab that. Besides, you will learn 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 while being entertained entertained entertained. Well worth your while. All you have to do is send me an email. So, go for it. Okay, um it is time for stop All right, so I'm reaching in my brain trying to figure out what story to give you, and I've actually had many comedians on here, and I'm I'm particularly fond of using stand-up comedy to gain social skills. It's a peculiar path, but it works really well. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reaching in my brain for should I tell you a story from, you know, one of the kids that I've worked with. My son tried doing stand-up comedy, but he found the audience intimidating, so he did it in his living room to his camera for YouTube. You can watch that. I mean, there's, there's lots of stories that I had. But Jake said something that I would like to follow up on, um, and it's about me. So this time Story from the Road is my road, literally on the road doing comedy. So when I first started doing stand-up comedy. I was in a contest. I was only doing it because I tried to find a way to make a living with my kids, but they needed to be asleep. So stand-up comedy meant that I could put the kids to bed, run out, do some stand-up comedy, and go home. Little did I know I wasn't about to make money for a long time, but, uh, but it was an idea. So I entered this contest so that I could start at least with some attention and with sort of an organizational structure on the go, and I won. First time on stage. I remember my heart felt like it was pounding out of my chest, and and I was terrified. And I thought, I'm I'm not even going to be able to walk up to the stage. And I felt like those cartoons where the you know the heart's coming out. I literally felt like that. But something happened on my way to the stage where I clicked into the character that I'd rehearsed so much. Maybe I was so terrified I left the building and let my body do the comedy. Whatever it was, they were roaring with laughter. My Take on life was just peculiar enough, I mean, I won hands down, so I thought I knew how this was done right <laughs> that's it i know i'm I'm great i'm I'm very funny, so, <laughs> so I went the very next opportunity, so then I'm not going to be on stage again for this this another leg to the contest I'm now the the funniest lady in Toronto, but I have to keep defending my title and um funniest person, so i'm Waiting like three weeks for the next opportunity because other people are trying to win, and then we'll all, you know, have comedy wars together. And I had a holiday in the middle of that, and I was on a train, and I thought, well, I'm so funny. I'm so good at this. These people are going to love it. So, okay, I was a little weird. So just stop laughing at me right now. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, okay, laugh. Anyway, so I'm on this train. I've got all my kids. They've fallen asleep in their little bunk, right? I've got. Six kids piled in a bunk and there's a bunch of people still awake and I kept thinking I should do comedy I should do comedy I should do comedy I'm I'm a comedian now I'm funny right so there's an audience I should use them so I, uh, I'm i embarrassed. I'm blushing. So I go to the front of a, the train car, and much like the stewardesses and stewards do nowadays on some of the flights, I took the opportunity to have an audience. Now, the difference that would have escaped me at the time, because I wasn't socially too bright, good at parenting, not so good at friends, the difference is that those stewardesses <laughs> are – supposed to be at the front of the plane and if they want to talk and entertain it's just fun but some girl from the audience isn't so much supposed to do that now I've seen this done also on trains in Paris and stuff so it's not I suppose that weird but all those people are homeless so maybe it is anyway so I go to the front of the train and I start doing my comedy now I don't think get their attention first because I'm weird and, and I'm not making the associations you have to make. Like the reason you were funny before is because everyone was paying attention to you and the MC set it up properly and, and the sound is good and the light is good. And I don't, I don't know that all of that has a part to play. I just think I'm funny now. So I never used to be funny and now I am. So I, uh, I'm I'm standing there, and I'm doing my comedy, and of course, nobody's even hearing me at the beginning, and by the time they're hearing me, it just seems weird, because it's all out of context, and besides, my timing's gone, because I'm embarrassed, and I'm I'm uncomfortable, and my throat is dried up, and the train keeps throwing me around, so it just didn't work, (laughs) and... There is no applause and all there is is a bunch of people looking away hoping that I will just disappear into the, you know, night, jump out the train window or something. So I slink back to my car and crawl in with my sleeping kids, hurting, hurting. I was hurting so bad. And that's what it's like to have Asperger's. You make really bad choices socially. You feel the embarrassment. And sometimes then later you act like you don't care or you're like, as Jake was saying, it looks like he he was just being stubborn. Well, in a sense, when you're uncomfortable, you fight back. You resist learning because you're uncomfortable. So if I've learned anything from my own journey and my children's journey and my grandchildren's journey, it's make them comfortable and then push. So make them comfortable, and then raise the bar. Give them some information, and if you have a child like me, tell them, no, 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 you need to be introduced before you do comedy. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as The Brain Broad, and it took a lot of brain for this broad to survive her childhood and early parenting mistakes. Um, I love you all. Thank you for being here. And without you, I would just be talking to myself. This is a new spin on autism. Answers.
1: Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, a real-life guide to autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new Spin on Autism. Answers.
0: Spinning in circles and I'm talking to myself. Spinning in circles and I'm talking to myself. Spinning in circles and I'm talking to myself. I can't hear you.